0: Prepare your ears, humans. Happy, sad, confused begins now. Today on Happy, Sad, Confused, two Horowitzes for the price of one, and maybe one in spirit. Hey guys, I'm Josh Horowitz. Welcome to another edition of Happy, Sad, Confused. Thanks, as always, for joining me on my little old podcast, a, a pet project that began over six years ago and one that remains uh, a labor of love and one that I derive a lot of joy from, and hopefully you do, too. Uh, if you notice, you know, there's a little extra sadness, a little more weight in my voice today. Um it's because it's been a, an especially tough time in, in my life recently, to be perfectly frank. Uh, if you follow me on social media, maybe you know this already. If you don't, here's the sad news. My dad passed away very recently. Um, it was a a tough, brief um, illness that he confronted at the end. He's been... Uh, um, Ill to some degree for many years. We've I've referenced it in past conversations. Um, he he had Parkinson's for over 18 years. Uh, really, he actually was astounding um, bearing the weight of that that illness over the years. It really it affected him, but but did not really affect his quality of life to a a, a, a large level. He was able to enjoy his life, enjoy his family, enjoy his work, um, enjoy traveling up until uh, recent times. Um, my dad was a huge part of my life and a huge part of why I do what I do. He loved movies he uh loved talking about movies um in the last few months of his life one of the one of my rituals for him was to uh was to go through the movie listings every day <laughs> look at all like the look at all the channels and make my movie recommendations to him uh, because that was that was really his main source of enjoyment beyond obviously uh, hanging with his family was to watch old movies that he that he loved i of course was always trying to expose him to new movies that i thought he would enjoy he always wanted to go to the tried and true the ones that he always uh, found comfort in um which which kind of weirdly dovetails very nicely with what I've been doing on this show in recent months, talking about comfort movies um you know we we went dark for the last couple of weeks um for understandable reasons while I was dealing with um family stuff and dealing with uh just a lot of emotion and pain and um but it felt it felt like it was important to start to get back on the horse and start to do do what I do uh for a living best, which is entertaining you guys with conversations for MTV and Comedy Central and here on the podcast. And I was try, I was debating on, on how to kind of kickstart the podcast again, what to do again. It felt weird to just come back with a, a just another um, actor or filmmaker that I had some kind of relationship with. I wanted something that felt a little bit special and hopefully could honor my dad in some way. Um, And it occurred to me, why not have my brother on? My brother, Adam Horowitz, who I talk about frequently on the podcast, um, he is and was and always will remain four and a half years older than me and was a big influence because of that growing up on my movie going habits. We went to the movies all the time in New York City. He was the way I saw movies. He took me to movies. It was really Adam Horowitz's choices in movies that influenced my love of movies most. Um, So it felt right to have my brother on the podcast today, not to talk about one comfort movie, but to talk about sort of how we how we grew up and how we came to consume and enjoy movies as much as we did. Um, and also to talk about the movies that my dad kind of passed on to us, his comfort movies, the movies, the genres that he loved most, the kinds of filmmakers and actors he gravitated towards most. So this is a conversation with my brother, Adam, about growing up in new york and seeing just a ton of movies and sneaking into movies and seeing double features and and watching movies not on vhs but on our beloved old selectivision player which you'll hear about a little bit more later (laughs) um it's really a conversation about um how i came to love movies through family and experience growing up um by way of introduction about my brother, in case you don't know, Adam is a hugely successful uh, screenwriter and uh, television creator. Um, his credits are are long. Uh, they include uh, co-creating Once Upon a Time. Uh, he was a writer and executive producer of Lost. He co-wrote Tron Legacy. Um, he's done a lot of amazing, amazing work um, on sort of the other side of what I do. Um, And I've only interviewed him a couple times over the years. I interviewed him a couple times at Comic-Con. And it was always a little bit challenging, a little bit interesting, a little bit odd. um, Because, you know, how do you you talk to your family in different ways than you would talk to somebody in a professional, quote-unquote professional, interview setting. Um, So this conversation might sound, I don't know, it sounds somewhere in between an interview and a conversation between two brothers, hopefully. (laughs) Um, So I hope you get a sense of our passion for movies our love for movies our love for our dad this is hopefully a uh, a small way to honor larry Horowitz and what he did for us and uh, i hope you guys enjoy it um this uh, this felt like the right way back into happy Say, confused and i also just want to say so many of you sent lovely beautiful messages over social media social media gets a bad rap instagram and twitter you know they're the 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 darkest portals of our minds right now but there is some good there and i got so many lovely messages from people i know and people i don't know that have just listened to the podcast or watched my stuff and each and every one of them truly truly helped me through this time and will continue to do so and i i appreciate your support more than ever um because uh it ain't easy as, as as many of you know, it ain't easy losing a parent and uh, and a loved one. So um, I thank you guys for helping me through this uh, this difficult time. Um, happy to say that I am back on the horse. I am making new stuff. Um, I just did a couple really cool conversations for. Uh, The folks that run New York Comic Con are putting on this cool thing called Metaverse. So if you want to check out some two really special conversations uh, that I did, you should um, follow, follow New York Comic Con on YouTube. That's the first step. And this weekend, between August 13th and August 16th, they're doing a, a slew of really cool YouTube you know, video events. They're all free, um, and they're, they're interviews and panel discussions, and I did two for them. And they're actually gonna come back around on the podcast in future weeks. So if you just wanna hold tight and listen to it on the podcast, that's fine. But if you wanna watch these videos and watch the uh, the conversations uh, as soon as possible, I highly recommend you subscribe to New York Comic Con on YouTube. Um, this Friday uh, is a conversation, an hour-long dissection of Mad Max Fury Road with the genius that is George Miller. I can't tell you how amazing an opportunity this was. This is something I've wanted to do for a while. George was on the podcast five years ago talking about Fury Road. He was sweet enough to come back on the podcast and come back on uh, this kind of metaverse conversation, whatever we want to call it, uh, for an hour-long deep dive into what makes what made Mad Max Fury Road. So if you're at all a fan of filmmaking and Mad Max, you're going to love this conversation. I also chatted with Joe Keery, who uh, is fantastic, up-and-coming actor. You know him, of course, from Stranger Things, as Steve Harrington has a new film called Spree Out, uh, out August 14th. Um, And that's just a fun conversation um, about his life and career, Stranger Things, Spree, his favorite comfort movie. Again, go subscribe to New York Comic Con uh, on YouTube, and you'll be able to check those out. And if you want to just hang tight, you can also enjoy the audio versions on Happy, Sad, Confused in the weeks to come. Anyway, all right, onwards and upwards. Happy, Sad, Confused is back. I hope you guys enjoy this conversation. It's 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 a personal one. Here is me and my slightly older brother, Adam Horowitz. Well, this is a a very exciting first for Happy, Sad, Confused. It only took uh, about six years and 300 episodes to add a second Horowitz to the mix. You know the more famous Horowitz, Adam Horowitz from Once Upon a Time, Lost, Amazing Stories, Tron Legacy. He's the uh, celebrated West Coast Horowitz. It's Adam Hi, Adam. Hi, my brother.
1: Hello, brother Josh. <laughs> I don't know I don't know if I'm
0: the more famous, but I'm the more West Coast. You are definitely the more West Coast and arguably more famous. Uh, the good thing about this is this is the kind of conversation we're going to have is basically what we talk about anyway. Like literally 90% of our conversations, I feel like just devolve into talking about the same hundred movies we watched as kids. Is that fair to say? Mm-hmm. Um, so as I was saying in the intro to this, um, it felt weird to like dive back into my podcast with just like a normal old episode. Um, you know, since my last episode, um, our dad passed away and, you know, certainly he was a big part, I think for both of us in, in introducing us to a lot of films, uh, in different ways. Um, And I think I just wanted to like start by talking a little bit about how we consumed movies as kids. Because I I feel like I can fit them into kind of three buckets the way I saw movies. And the main one to your, you can take credit for this, or I don't know if it's a thing to take credit for, is I think I saw most movies in the company of you. You're my older brother. You were then. You still are. (laughs) So you- You're catching up, but I am still older. No, I'm not catching up, that will never happen, sadly. Um, So is that, I mean, is that fair to say? Do do you remember like seeing most of our movies just together, like more than our parents taking us to movies?
1: Well, there was a certain point where it felt like our parents decided that they could not keep up with our desire to see movies. (laughs) <laughs> and, <brothers>. then, <laughs> That's true. and then they just gave up and let us just go about our movie going business with each other and hoped that it didn't ruin us. Um,
0: it seems like it didn't. If anything, it actually, we got, both got careers out of it.
1: Right. I mean, there's a possibility that our lives could have gone in much better directions <laughs> without them, but we'll, we'll probably never know um there might be another timeline where we um are you know very successful dentists or something i don't know um or we've invented a cure for tooth decay or but i think that um them uh you know letting us i mean they 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 well, at a young age they did you know i, I have memories of them taking us to movies and they certainly like movies i mean our father particularly was a movie fan, but, um, but then there was a point where, you know, I think around when I was around 10, 10 or 11, where I started taking you to movies, which, you know, as a parent now seems crazy that they would let me take you was like six or seven when I was 10 or 11 to the movies
0: in New York City. In
1: New York City. <laughs> it's like, okay, yeah, just go off to the movies and walk, you know, by ourselves.
0: I don't remember much resistance like from like the Usher. Like I don't remember like encountering no. much resistance.
1: No. I, I mean it's not like we were going to like r to movies very often if yeah. at all. Um but but no they New York in the '80s, in the mid to late '80s, which was when this was, um, didn't seem to care about <laughs> its children in the way it does now. I, you know, yeah. I, mean, yeah. I mean, I'm not saying it was a, a cold, heartless city. It wasn't. I loved New York, and I loved it then, and I miss a lot of things about the city then. But there was definitely sort of an attitude of like, okay. There's a couple of there's a, a ten year old with a six year old brother, you know, going to see, you know, Rocky II or whatever, right. and it, it's fine, you know.
0: Well, we also took advantage. Rocky III. It would have been right. <laughs> yeah, I don't actually remember seeing Rocky II in a the theater, but it's definitely Rocky III and Rocky four III many we times.
1: Did. I remember seeing Rocky III in the theater,
0: <laughs> which was the first Rocky I saw in a the theater. Yeah, not, maybe not the... Did you, did you hear that Stallone is working on a director's cut of Rocky IV? A
1: director's cut of Rocky IV? <laughs> Wasn't what was
0: released a director's cut of Rocky IV? He was the director, yeah. It, was he a-
1: holding him back at that point?
0: Yeah, he was at the height of his powers. You would think he could do... I mean, he, that film was basically three musical montages, so I'm I'm anxious to see what he was holding back. <laughs> maybe it's more what, of that robot. What didn't he get to? <laughs> So the other thing we took advantage of, I mean, was sneaking around into the, into multiple movies. I mean, we did double and triple features like it was just part of the deal
1: well, i think yeah I, it was it felt like once we discovered that movie theaters had more than one screen in them, <laughs> it was seemed just like we were supposed to see yeah. more
0: than movie. No, it's like going to an amusement park. You get to why, go on
1: all the rides. <laughs> why would you just go to one if you're in this theater that has four to six screens? I mean, back then that was a lot—four or six screens. Yeah. You
0: know, but um, I do remember some. Actually, I, now that I think about, it, I do feel like there was some tension sometimes. You, you you were not you definitely were not supposed to do that, and it felt like we had to be a little strategic. There was
1: about it. one like particularly scolding woman a um an older lady i remember at the the Lowe's 84th street theater on 84th
0: and broadway Lisa. that was our theater of choice that was the you know, that was our uh, local theaters at work
1: i remember her giving us looks from time to time um suspicious looks about what these truants were doing right. it was a saturday it wasn't like we were skipping school but you know um there was, you know, there was a lot of screens. What were we supposed to do? We didn't you know,
0: know it's much true. better. That's true. That's true. I, I, I was saying before, I mean, in particular, when I think of seeing multiple movies in a day, I feel like we had a tradition going where we would go to summer camp. And I remember a few years, like the day, because we, I, I would go for summer camp for two months and I would miss all the summer movies. And in order to just start catching up, we'd see like three movies in a day. Well, to, to a
1: A child or a, you know, a a young kid like ourselves who loved movies, summer camp was cruel. It was (laughs) like, you are going away in summer when the movies that were meant for us were being released.
0: Yeah. I don't need to swim. I need to see gremlins. Right.
1: (laughs) Right. Why was I being sent to the one place where you couldn't see Ghostbusters? Yeah. Where, where... (laughs) Where you had to be outdoors, <laughs> nature. While well, while well, well, children around America were were watching Gremlins and Ghostbusters and and, and, and um, you know all all the other the fun stuff. Um, you know I guess um, you know and then what would happen is yeah we would we would be a camp for whatever seven or eight weeks which was you know very nice of our parents to send us to camp although I'm sure there's a little bit of a selfish motivation of getting the kids out of the house so they could travel and stuff themselves right you know they were also trying to be nice and expose us to athletics <laughs> and fresh air but but the same respect we'd come back and we'd be like all right it
0: doesn't matter if it's a flickering image on a silver screen, we will go sit in front of it. Right. And because yeah. of that, we did have some memory. I feel like there was one, I think, I think this is all the same summer. There's there's one triple feature. I want to say, I don't know if I have this right. Teen Wolf, Back to the Future, Real Genius. Would that have been the same year? Now is that is right. Yes. And
1: now that, that felt particularly cruel to miss Back to the Future. Like, you know, to send a kid away when Back to the Future came out. Yes. But like, but it was interesting. You come back. And and there's two Michael J. Fox movies out. There's Team Wolf from Back to the Future. Now, as a kid at the time, they're just there's two Michael J. Fox movies. You don't know the difference. They're they're just equal, obviously. Yeah. You know, so they're they're on an even playing field when you go see them. You know, and up in a you know a, a log cabin in New Hampshire, they they're not sending you Daily Variety with grosses. I don't know what's a box office phenomenon in sweeping America. For all I know, Teen Wolf is the one. <laughs> you know? right. We went to see both and I enjoyed Teen Wolf just fine. Sure. And I like Back to the Future a lot, you know, but it was it was, you know, it was, it's funny to see it in that that context where it's all you're, you're stripped of any sort of sort of cultural knowledge of what's going on.
0: Though I do remember, do you remember this? I mean, this is a whole another longer conversation. But in brief, we, you know, we were nerds for all kinds of movies. Mm-hmm. Um, but we, a big part of our childhoods was sci-fi and Star Trek. We would go to conventions, sci-fi conventions in New York. Mm-hmm. I remember seeing the teaser for Back to the Future at one of those conventions, where like they, where the like the window comes down.
1: Don't remember that. Really? But, um, okay. But I, but I, I believe it happened.
0: Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> not, not, not
1: this <laughs> Thank you. It happen, but I don't remember it. Okay. Um, but I I do remember um, I do remember seeing Back to the Future with you after summer camp, and I remember seeing it. Like, I remember seeing it in Teen Wolf, and and yes, and Real Genius was the other one, which I really liked. Real Genius and um i still love real genius i think that holds up right i was very very excited to much much later in life uh get to work with william atherton did an episode he did an episode of lost for us when, when um my uh writing producing partner eddie and i worked on lost um we cast him in a role in uh during the final season as a um
0: as a ordinary school principal. That sounds about right. <laughs> That's in his wheelhouse.
1: It was his wheelhouse and he delivered and he was, he was a very nice man and he did a great job. And, you know, I, it was one of those, you know, that, that has been one of the joys of working in the business now is like getting to work with people. like yeah. That. Oh yeah. You know, I liked William
0: Atherton a lot. And uh, he's now can write a role for him. Amazing. The other okay. So the other important before we launch into some specific comfort movies, the other important way we consume movies, which um, speaks a little bit to our father's frugal nature, perhaps, or or sometimes poor decision making in buying uh, new tech. Um, he decided not to go with laserdisc, which was one of the burgeoning new technologies of the time. He went with RCA's competitor, the Select Division.
1: Yes, the, the Select Division <laughs> was a um, a technology that never quite took hold, it looked like a laser disc, but it was not a laser disc. No. it was um, as far as I could tell, it was like a, a record with images
0: yeah, it's more akin to that, like it's grooves it was little yeah. and that's and the dust would like literally ruin it
1: yeah, I don't even quite understand how the technology worked. <laughs> and I remember him justifying it to us um, saying. You didn't get the laser disc because this was just as good. The only difference is something like after 10,000 plays, the disc wouldn't be any good. But who's going to watch a movie 10,000 times? That was the only difference. There's no other qualitative difference. Sensible. Well, there was a lot of qualitative difference. The image was not very good. It was. Um, you know, maybe a step up from VHS, if that, which we didn't have. We were the last family yep. to have a VHS because um, we had a selectivision disc player, which was all you really needed, except that you couldn't record anything with it. You just watch a very limited selection.
0: <laughs> I think we were we were probably one of the last 10 families to like stick with it because I, I, I looked it up it, I think, like, I read the last one they produced, I'm pretty sure we owned, was Jewel of the Nile. And ah. I, feel like, I feel like I see that in our collection. So, like, from, like, 81 had, to, yeah, 81 to 86, we had, like, every Selectivision disc. I, I'm
1: impressed that we're still hanging on to the technology in 86, and that so are we. <laughs> yeah, exactly. um, yeah, but because of that, there is a limited selection And there was, we had a limited library of films um, that our father would buy. And that would sort of like, that kind of curated our film knowledge a bit just by what we had.
0: Yeah, we watched those same hundred movies over and over again. And And I was thinking before we go into like the specific comfort movies, like I was thinking... I think of the ones that were like a little bit beyond, spe- especially my age. Like mm-hmm. I think of like, he had The Verdict and he yeah. had M.A.S.H. and like yeah. Cabaret even. These were like, I wasn't ready for any of those movies, but I, I know, saw them. I
1: watching Cabaret and at the age of 10 or whatever and liking it, I think, but not quite understanding it. Um, and the same, The Verdict, was also probably not one that was for 10-year-old me, um, but, but I got there eventually. Um, I do remember, and I don't know if you remember this, that the only James Bond movie we had, do you remember this? Was From Russia with Love. Yes, yes, yes which, yes. which has remained probably my favorite James Bond movie to this day, maybe that's why.
0: Yeah, that's interesting. that is my go-to too, and I wonder It's probably why actually. <laughs> yeah, I mean partially it is also legitimately. It's a great one of the best. movie, yeah.
1: but it's and, and, and maybe are the best one in some ways. But um it was also the only one we had. So <laughs> I watched it ten thousand times until the disc wore out.
0: Yeah. Um okay, so we, we were gonna we're gonna talk about comfort movies in three buckets. We're just gonna kind of free associate it on a few. Um I think a big one for us, um is the comedy bucket, and you have a comfort movie to start us off with, which wasn't necessarily one of our dad's movies, but it, it kind of dovetails with a lot of the Yeah, ones
1: that I ones. mean, it is a um, uh, holiday movie, and it is Scrooged, which um, is not, you know, maybe the, the standard holiday movie for everyone, but it is one that I go back to over and over again, and a movie that i um that I do find comfort in that will always make me laugh, and that I always you know flaws and all enjoy um like it's you know no movie is perfect I mean maybe there are a few perfect movies but but there's a difference between you know perfect movies and and movies you just like enjoy being with and scrooge is one yeah for me that whenever i come across it i can just watch it at any point and enjoy it and then you know and every holiday season i wind up watching it or now making my kids watch it um and um you know i think part of it is it speaks to my sense of humor um um, I do, you know, uh, I do distinctly remember
0: seeing it with you, which I don't know if you remember. I do remember. I remember, cause I remember, I'll never forget like the end when he speaks, he speaks to the audience and that feeling unique and odd. I want to say it was an Upper West Side theater. What, what theater no, was it? Oh, really?
1: It was not.
0: Okay. What was it? It was, um, for anyone
1: from New York of a certain age will remember the Lowe's Orpheum on the east side, on East 86th Street, which used to be, before our time even, used to be a giant single screen theater when those things used to exist. And then sometime, I'm gonna guess in the early 80s, was split up into two screens, where there was one giant, like thousand seat theater or bigger that was like the main screen. And then they turned the balcony into a second screen. Mm -hmm or 500 seats and the, but the main screen was this like kind of cavernous theater oh, um, and that's that was the one that we saw Scrooge in and i and i do remember it was a fairly crowded yep um um opening weekend audience and they had that whole gag at the end where he's speaking to the audience and telling people to to like sing or stand up or clap yeah, one
0: side of the theater or the next, yeah. and like
1: it was one of those instances where it actually like worked, <laughs> an audience, which was crazy. But um, but yeah, it was. We saw it Thanksgiving night. I remember that. Um, 1988. 1988, and you and I. Um, it was after our Thanksgiving dinner with the family, and after turkey and all the other stuff and visiting with relatives and everybody kind of drifting off and going home and, and probably around nine or 10 o'clock for whatever reason, our parents let, um, probably it was, I was probably 15 or 16 and you were probably 12. Well, usually so you yep. were 12. Yep. Right. And, um, right. Yes. Yeah, so I was probably 16 and you were 12 and then they let me take you, uh, to the theater and we went across town and saw probably like a 10 o'clock show with that.
0: Richard, Richard Donner was a big part of our childhood. Our, I mean, the, the run he was, you know, I didn't realize this. He made this in between Lethal Weapon one and two.
1: Oh, I, I'm a big <laughs> Richard Donner fan. I have been for a very long time. And um, um, I, I, I briefly got to work for him in one of my first jobs, which I don't know if I ever told you. I think I remember that. Yeah. Well, one of my first jobs in Hollywood was as a post-production PA, which just meant um, a production assistant for the editorial team on a show called *Tales from the Crypt* on right. yep. HBO for a number of years. And Richard Donner was one of the producers. And in the pre-internet days of 1995-ish or whatever it was, um, where it was like probably late '94 um you know there was back then there was no like you know dailies on the internet and all that stuff what would happen is I would wake up at 5 a.m and drive over to a place and physically pick up the dailies and then Hollywood and then drive them from Hollywood to Chatsworth where the production post-production offices and production offices were and then we would like the editorial team would make jobs of them on VHS, and then I'd have to drive them to all the producers, and there were a lot of producers all over town, Paramount and Universal, there was a million producers on the show, and Richard Donner was one of them, and, um, and I remember, uh, you know, uh, having to go to his office, like, you know, every day, and briefly getting to meet him, and, um, and uh, on the Warner Brothers lot, which, uh, was, you know, I just got out of college, and, um, But, you know, the thing with dailies then was they were on VHS tapes. So, like, you know, when you'd have dailies, I'd be literally carrying, like, a cardboard box that might have 30 or 40 VHS tapes stacked in them. And they had these little narrow pathways on the one-hour lot between the little bungalows. And I remember just, like, being very nervous and just wanting to get into the right place. And I remember, um, and this was, like, very early in my... Time in Hollywood just a few weeks and bringing this very nervous one to do it right and I like I tripped I fell and all the tapes splattered out of my cardboard box and blocked this like you know two foot path and and I got on my hands and knees and I'm picking up trying to get a box and I feel this like little entourage stop waiting for me to get so pick them up and get out of the way and I I look up and staring down at me is Clint Eastwood and that was the scariest hollywood moment i probably ever had <laughs> just gunner's way bit
0: too this way oh my I, god I anyway you had a, yeah you had a lot of you had a string of interesting early hollywood stories i mean i still remember just visiting you out there and like getting to read scripts that you were you were getting and reading that was like my first time ever reading yeah. scripts but anyway okay let's let's talk some more yeah. some more comedies um because i feel like beyond scrooge which i don't know i don't even know if our dad ever watched um, but I'm with you 100 percent on that one. But his his comedies, I think of I think of Mel Brooks, I think of Adam Costello, I think of Marx Brothers, really silly, big Pink Panther, Pink Panther, yes. Um, he I think he exposed the uh, I, I would I would credit him with exposing us to all of those pretty much.
1: Yeah, I, I mean I think Pink Panther, and I think you know also I mean I mean I think he liked Blake Edwards because I also yes. remember him taking us. See Victor Victoria.
0: We had that on on Select Vision too. Yeah,
1: which was not <laughs> a Pink Panther movie, but it was Blake Edwards' movie. And that was like what nineteen eighty two, something like and, that. Yeah. And yeah, we were pretty young to be seeing Victor Victoria, but yeah. it was. But I still got something out of it, and that was a funny movie. I remember he loved Victor Victoria. That movie was, <laughs> that's a funny movie. That's a big movie.
0: Pink Panther really registered for me.
1: Pink I, Panther was just all of them was that was a big thing in our household.
0: Yeah. All of them. Yeah, I feel like we would often quote lines back and forth, Cato and him, and uh, it was,
1: yeah. Um, yeah, no, there was uh, a lot of um, imitating Inspector Clouseau in the house. <laughs> um, and um, he, he got a kick out of Inspector Clouseau and Peter Sellers. He loved Peter Sellers. He also, I mean, different than uh, digressing from Pink Panther, I remember he liked being there.
0: Yes, that was the, that was another one I was going to mention in the, kind of the adult movies that were on selectivision that I was too young for at the time. Right. But yes, which
1: I, which was I remember I distinctly remember watching being there on one of those discs after yep. watching Panther movies and waiting for the Pratt Falls. Yes, the Pratt <laughs> never Falls came. Did not come. <laughs> no. yeah, so that was like it was that was a hard transition into to Ashby. Yes, but <laughs> but 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 it was. I got there eventually but um but um but yeah no so his taste spanned all sorts of things but he really did like theater sellers
0: yeah lot. i mean i remember we had strange glove on on disc as well um he after the fox was a
1: big one which was uh, i don't know if people are familiar with that one that's a slightly lesser known one about it's great him. though yeah yeah it's a, he plays a guy tends to be an Italian film director to do a heist. It's it's, it's a funny movie.
0: Um, Um, I feel like we should mention Mel Brooks too because I think Young Frankenstein in particular stands up as one of my top comfort movies and I think it was one of his favorites too.
1: It is. I just watched that recently with my children um, and it was actually a bit of an ordeal to find. It's like, it was hard to actually find it. Um, I did
0: track it down like you had to like I had to like subscribe to stars or something. Did you not did you not look up Selectivision discs on eBay? Because it was definitely on Selectivision.
1: I didn't have <laughs> have it. But um it's still funny. Yeah. <laughs> it played well with two out of three of my children. <laughs> one it's of a... them one of them, the youngest, found it a little scary. Which well, is because that... it, it's like it's so close yeah. to what it is that it did play a
0: little scary for him. Well, it's shot beautifully. It's in black and yeah. white. And like, if you weren't listening to the dialogue, you would think you're just watching a, like a beautiful classic horror movie.
1: Yeah. And for my seven-year-old son, it played a little like that. So he, yeah, he, he was a little, a little
0: frightened. Um, next category, let's talk about are um, kind of suspense films. And the, uh, tell me your comfort movie, which is not, it has some comedic uh, bent to it too, but it's a good entry point. Um,
1: Foul Play, that was a big one for me as a kid. And um I remember that was one that was like on like HBO a lot and like or like the ABC Saturday night movie or whatever and he and he liked that one. Yep. And I remember watching it with him and him getting kick out of that
0: and so th- uh, for context, just a little bit, it's a 1978 movie. This is um, Chevy Chase, Goldie Hawn, Dudley Moore. Um, and it was actually one of, I think, one of the first, like, big leading roles for Chevy Chase after SNL. Yeah, um, yeah. It, it is one of
1: the first, one of his first big leading roles. And there's actually a, a funny moment early in the movie where, um, which is a slightly strange scene where you meet Goldie <laughs> Hawn at a party at the very beginning of the movie and Cherry Chase is there and hits on her which is like just a way to introduce his character early in the movie because his character doesn't come into the movie but like 45 minutes into the movie because he's like the police detective that gets assigned to the case that, that she's like gets embroiled in this whole mystery thing but they clearly wanted him in the movie early so they put him in this opening scene and it's just this big coincidence in the movie that there's really no reason for him to be in that scene but it, like he like kind of hits on her at this party and then at the end of the scene when she kind of rejects him he just kind of stands there and the camera holds him he just kind of looks at the camera and it's like this like SNL like moment almost and you feel like the SNL actor in him there very strongly
0: but right. um there's a little bit of a test run for for Fletch a little bit more um, there's a little Fletch in there too yeah it's, it's a, I, I haven't seen it in a while have you seen it recently does it hold up
1: it, it, it does, um, it, is, it is a classic example of how a PG movie in 1978 is very different from a PG movie in present day. Right. And, um, and also, like well, I was watching it with the family, and then it became clear after about a half hour, it's probably not appropriate for my children yet. <laughs> so, um, it, it, you know, it's funny, and and, it, and it's a PG film, and there's some adult themes, and it. it's not, you know, super, you know, out there, but, you know, these days it would certainly be a PG-13, uh, R-rated movie. Um, and, you know, there's a whole extended sequence with Dudley Moore in the middle of the movie that's, that's funny sequence where she's being, being chased by the bad guys, and she goes into a singles bar, and... She um, asked Dudley Moore to help her out and he takes her to his apartment and he thinks she's picking him up and he's, the whole misunderstanding and it's really, it's a little bit of a dated and like, you know, there. it's, uh, I don't know if it's offensive so much because Do- Dudley Moore is, is really portrayed in a negative light for what right. he's doing, but it's not really a, a scene for kids. Right. Um, it's funny. Um, it's
0: also and, like a, a oh yeah, go ahead. Yeah, go ahead. No, you go, well, well I was gonna say it, it belongs to kind of like a weird subgenre that I really, really, really love, which is kind of inspired a little bit by by Hitchcock and like these kind of ordinary people caught in in these like yeah. extreme circumstances. You think like North by Northwest is the Hitchcock example that comes to mind most. Um, but then like I think of something like we and we've talked about this a lot. Silver Streak actually has a, a really a lot of DNA with this one.
1: Well, I mean, and they're both
0: um, Colin Higgins, right? Colin Higgins wrote Silver Streak. Oh, maybe he wrote, I, he, I don't know if he wrote it. Maybe he wrote it. I, I know he only directed three films. He directed 9 oh, he to five. Di-
1: And he directed, well, Foul Play was the first one he directed. Did he? I'm
0: pretty sure. We're looking it up as we speak. Yeah, yeah he had, he, 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 he died very young and he has only three directing credits, nine to five, foul play, and the best little Whorehouse in Texas. I don't know if he wrote um, Silver Streak, but Silver Streak, of course- Yeah, no, he wrote, he wrote Silver Streak. Okay, so that makes sense. So, and Silver yeah. Streak, for those who don't okay. know, it is, um, is uh, of course Gene Wilder, Richard Pryor, Jill Kleberg. Um, It takes place, a, lot, a good portion of it takes place on the Silver Streak on a train. Um, uh, Gene Wilder witnesses what he thinks is a murder and, um, and, yeah, it gets kind of caught up in, in circumstances beyond his, uh, his purview, but beyond what he can handle. And, um, and what I found interesting recently, I think I mentioned this to you, is despite it being kind of like a, a Richard Pryor, Gene Wilder movie, Richard Pryor doesn't come in until like an hour into the movie.
1: No, very late in the movie. And, um, and there's, there's elements of that movie that probably don't hold up.
0: In a modern context, yes. <laughs> yes. But a scene in the bathroom, that would probably not work today. Yeah, yes.
1: um, but but it's it is a it's a well written and well made and well constructed movie like foul play is as well in that they they are sort of spoof isn't the right word so much as they're like kind of they take the Hitchcock genre and kind of add another genre to it. Like, yeah. um, and Colin Higgins was a really, really talented writer. He also wrote Harold and Maude. Oh, wow, I didn't realize that, yeah. Uh, which was, I think, the first thing he wrote, or at least the first thing that was produced of his.
0: He, he must have been
1: very young when he wrote that. And he was very young when he died. Yeah. He sad. Um, but, um, but he wrote Harold and Maude, uh, which is another great um, and. Which is not a Hitchcock-inspired thing. It's, no. a, it's a whole other thing. But, but Silver Street has a lot of Hitchcock in it, too, married with sort of a romantic comedy element in it as well, plus also a buddy film element in it. It's got a whole bunch of stuff. in it. Yeah. And then Foul Play also is this, like, takes the Hitchcock, like, wrong person in the wrong place uh, conceit as something like, North by Northwest and then marries it with, um, you know, a buddy cop thing and, um, and a uh, romantic comedy thing and, and, um, and turns it into something else. Now I've always thought and, you know, that you could look at foul play actually as, like, in some ways, a, oddly like a, 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 a dry run for something like Lethal Weapon 2. Like, if Please you look explain. at the... <laughs> okay. No, it, not Lethal Weapon 1, but okay. 2. Because if you think about the, the movie, the Brian Dennehy character, mm-hmm. do you remember? And you probably don't, because it's a pretty small part in the movie, but Brian Dennehy um, plays Chevy Chase's partner. And oh, okay. Chevy Chase is the crazy cop. Ryan Denny, is the sort of button-down cop. They're essentially Mel Gibson, Danny Glover, and they're assigned to deal with this crazy woman. She's essentially the Joe Pesci character, and and it's like *Lethal Weapon* two told from Joe Pesci's point of view. What foul play? Is.
0: <laughs> this is yeah. why people come to my podcast for the hot takes on foul play. It's <laughs> perfect. Um, I know mean, we mentioned Hitchcock. Hitchcock, like. Yeah, probably most dads love Hitchcock but I mean it's just like it's a you know his body work is amazing but yeah we were exposed to a lot of Hitchcock North by Northwest remains one of my favorite films but, oh yeah um, but I, I think of I feel like he liked Spellbound I, I don't think I like the later ones I don't think of like Vertigo Spellbound
1: I remember that freaked me out that one he liked that one Do You he did it? right yeah Spellbound's along where where it ends with the kid going down yes spoiler <laughs> <laughs> Cover your ears! In the end of the movie where the kid slides down the thing and the, the, the spike is there—that that freaked me out.
0: Yeah,
1: yeah, that's that a movie. <laughs> But, um, but, yeah. uh, but it, that's another one that I probably saw too young. Um, but but as up with. Me. And the other um,
0: one he loved was um, uh, Island for Murder. Oh, Shadow of a Doubt. Yes. Shadow of a Doubt. Yes. Which, um, yeah uncle charlie that's that's again remains one of my favorites um, and then oh yeah. and then uh strangers on a train you love yes that. yes i think i remember him liking i think he liked ro mama from the train which is obviously a huge yeah.
1: descendant that's, of yeah that's right he did
0: yeah um okay the third category the final category we want to bring up and this is a big one um he he loved war movies he, in particular world war ii films um I would,
1: I guess I would say Casablanca, which is sort of, I guess it is a World War II movie, but it's also a lot of other stuff. Yeah. But um. But it's, um. that was one of, that we had on disc, which I watched endlessly, which is, you know, I do think, you know, going back to something I said earlier, actually is pretty close to a perfect movie. Yeah, I, I would um, <laughs> there was There's not much to quibble with in that movie. It's interesting now, like showing it to my kids now, you, you know, having to give the context of World War II and what was going on, I had to pause it a lot to explain what was happening and why you would need letters of transit, like what <laughs> what, what, what the whole situation was. And when we saw that movie and when our father showed it to us in, you know, early 80s, late 70s, whenever it was, you're talking about 35 40 years after world war ii right it was much oddly closer and fresher now you're talking about you know 75 years
0: yeah later truly you know? a different world yeah
1: yeah it's such a different world so far um that it's it's like it is uh it, it it's kind of crazy like kind of trying to contextualize something like that and like so Revisiting some of these war movies now is is interesting in that in that way, but it's it's a it's a it's a great movie and um, That's one I remember in loving and and still holds up
0: The one, one I remember that um, Is an important one, but maybe it's not certainly not on the Casablanca level um, was mr. Roberts um, which I watched over and over and over again and um, is a war movie, it also has a lot of comedy to it. Um, Henry Fonda, William Powell, James Cagney, Jack Lemmon, um, basically about like an officer on a cargo ship who feels like he's missing the war, Um, based on a play, um, yeah, just like, I don't know, a super watchable movie, not as grim maybe as a lot of these other films we're talking about, Um, though I remember the ending is pretty tragic. Yeah. (laughs) it is pretty no, that ending, but
1: but it's also the end I also remember the ending being um if my memory is because the ending is can I spoil it for you? Yeah, audience? spoiler
0: alert for Mr. Roberts, right, um, yeah. 60 seven for- sixty years later. <laughs> All right.
1: So um it's like Henry Fonda dies. Yes. And then but then it's like Jack Lemmon is like he's like suddenly reformed and like and like he comes and takes over, and it's like this very upbeat moment where he's like kind of picks up the mantle. Exactly. So it's it is tragic, but also kind of upbeat
0: too. Yeah. Um, and then other quintessential ones, uh, I think of these are all classics, but um, *Longest Day*, *Great Escape*, *Bridge on the River Kwai*, of course.
1: Well, *Longest Day* was one I always I remember him liking. I remember also liking watching a lot, and it's it's that's one of those movies that just has every actor in it yeah you know it's um you know it's about d-day and and all that and it's he liked those movies that really i think also kind of like recreated things from history like like and tried to like you know sort of be accurate retellings although you know now when you get to things like Saving Private Ryan and stuff where the accuracy gets to another level, they, there's a sort of quaintness to something like The Longest Day Now. Yeah. Got it.
0: You know what's interesting? You know, we were talking about, like, how he obviously enjoyed Peter Sellers, and then it mm-hmm. occurred to me, I was thinking about some of these films in the war film genre, and mm-hmm. i was thinking about bridge on the river Kwai, and it, it occurs to me i think another one he really liked was alec guinness and he actually shares a bit in common weirdly with peter sellers he loved alec guinness in bridge on the river Kwai, but he also loved him in the ealing comedies he would always talk oh about that's right yeah the, the lady killers kind hearts and coronets the lavender hill mob and some of these movies where he was playing multiple characters so yeah, I, I, it's interesting i mean that's that's a, a bit of a common theme between peter sellers and alec guinness he might, he might must have liked these like virtuosic, you know, performances. Characters. Yeah, and you no, know, he did. That's that's interesting. Um, well, if 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 nothing else, we've given people a good historical lesson on archaic forms of media that you can no longer purchase. Maybe you can probably purchase a selectivision on eBay. Um, we were talking before about like the last film, our film-going experiences with him, and they probably were like the event films when he would visit you in LA like the Star Wars films he got to see your he was at the world premiere of Tron Legacy which was a huge moment for you and the whole family and that must have been I don't know what he made of Tron Legacy maybe not like what was built for Lawrence Horowitz but I I know he was proud and excited no I mean
1: he said nice things about it (laughs) I mean You know i mean it's funny it's it's i don't know how conscious or not it is but that movie is all about fathers and sons
0: yes absolutely that's i
1: mean you know, had a great influence you know on me and on my writing and stuff and you know and and then the films he showed me and exposed me and even like you know i mean i've told you like foul play for example like you know, Goldie Hawn's car in that, you know, for any of you who watched Once Upon a Time, that she drives a yellow bug. And that's the car that, you know, Eddie and I gave Emma to drive because we're both big fans of that movie. Um, yeah. You know, I mean, this stuff that he exposed to me has been hugely influential
0: yeah. in
1: my life and career.
0: Um, Well, same here. And, 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 different, unique respects, and yeah, certainly, like I said, um, up until the end, we were talking about movies with him and joking about movies, and I was was always telling him, like, what's on TCM, he became a devoted TCM watcher, Um, so we have a lot to be thankful for, and and I think he would appreciate that this gave us a nice excuse to talk movies and talk about um, his influence for an hour, and, Sorry I took this to get you on the podcast. Oh. Next next time we won't we won't wait for a death. You can come back yeah. anytime. Let's not. <laughs> Let's not do that. <laughs> <laughs> Stay tuned for more foul play hot takes with Adam Horowitz on the next episode of Haskell. A lot
1: of thoughts on Foul Play and
0: Richard Donner. And so ends another edition of Happy, Sad, Confused. Remember to review, rate, and subscribe to this show on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm a big podcast person. I'm Daisy Ridley, and I definitely was not pressured to do this by Josh. <laughs>